Hello and welcome to the Northeast Newscast. This is your host, Paul Thompson, and before we start today, I have a quick public service announcement. The Northeast Newscast is now on iTunes, so please subscribe, review, and keep listening to us there. All you have to do is go to iTunes and search for the Northeast Newscast. All of our episodes will pop right up, including the latest, a conversation with 3rd District at-large city councilman, Quentin Lucas. In my sprawling conversation with Lucas, who was quite generous with his time, we discussed the Board of Police Commissioners and their announcement that they would be conducting a national search for the next chief of police. Lucas will also talk about a ride-along he went on last weekend. Other topics of conversation include the city manager's project list for the first $40 million in general obligation bond funds, a federal spending plan that currently includes roughly $30 million for the Prospect Max Line, the Ride KC Freedom Program, the lingering needs and the political debate surrounding the repair or renovation or replacement of the Buck O'Neill Bridge, Kansas City University's plan to remove eight parcels from the Pendleton Heights Historic District, the city auditor's recent performance audit of the Independence Avenue Community Improvement District, and finally, Lucas offers some forthright thoughts about his future political aspirations. Don't take my word for it, though. Hear it from the man himself. Kansas City, Missouri, 3rd District, at-large city councilman, Quentin Lucas, starting right now. All right, it's Paul Thompson here with 3rd District Councilman Quentin Lucas. Thank you for taking the time today. Good to be here. Happy to talk to the Northeast News listeners and readers. Excellent. Wow, well, you, you've got this big platform now, so uh, hopefully <laughs> um, we'll get a chance to hit some good subjects, and I'll get right to it. Um, Monday, the Board of Police Commissioners announced that Ralph, Ralph Anderson and Associates would be conducting a national search for KCPD's next chief of police. So I wanted to ask you, how clued in has the council been during this process? I think it's fair to say the council hasn't really been uh, that clued in on the process. Mm -hmm. We haven't uh, been consulted necessarily. We've tried to address that. I know Councilwoman Lohr had set up a meeting with the council and the Board of Police Commissioners a few months ago. Right. That was a good first step. Frankly, I think we should do that again. Uh, We spend a lot of time on the council level at neighborhood meetings all the time listening to people who talk about violent crime, listening to people who talk about the need for more patrol officers on the streets, how we deploy our patrol officers, and I think it'd be important for us to share that. I know the Board of Police Commissioners is planning to have, I think, three community meetings, Mm -hmm. and while that's good, um, your average council person has a community meeting every day. And so I think uh, it would be nice, uh, at least if they're interested in, in more public input, they being the Board of Police Commissioners, for them to have a chance to sit down and talk to the council, we'll make the time. We'll go over to police headquarters and do it any time. But, uh, you know, right now I don't think other than us kind of giving some opinions to the press and others that we haven't been consulted, I understand the structure. But I think, uh, you know, we could do better in making sure that everybody who's elected to represent citizens has a voice in the future of the police department. Right. Well, you obviously you made time for the Northeast newscast. I'm sure you can make time for the Board of Police Commissioners. Uh, That's absolutely right. For, for a topic like that. <laughs> right. If they call, I'll clear my calendar tomorrow to talk to them about the next chief. Well, I wanted to ask you, you brought up what my follow-up question was going to be. Uh, you know, kind of a lot was made of the collaboration um, between the Board of Police Commissioners and the council and, and what can be done, uh, especially during that meeting, that the joint meeting that was held a couple months back now. Um, so does it sounds like from what you're saying is that there hasn't been much follow-up on that yet, and you and you hope that there will be moving forward? You know, I, I think it's fair to say that there has not been much follow-up on that yet, but that's a two-way street. Right. Um, you know, and I know the Board of Police Commissioners challenged us to do some things. One of those was to do a police ride-along, which I did uh, just last week. Right. Um, and so, but I think from their end, uh, making sure that they're as transparent as possible, 
We have a business session of the city council this week talking about uh, how we can stop the duplication of certain uh, professional services at mm-hmm. the city and the board of police commissioners. And so it's a work in progress, but I would challenge them and challenge us to make sure that we keep talking to them uh, consistently. You know, I think sometimes it's easy when you're doing business with Kansas City and maybe the board of police commissioners is the same way to, um, you know, maybe talk to the city manager's office and think that you've addressed the city sufficiently. Right. I think it, it might be helpful if in those neighborhoods and public safety meetings, you know, they make sure they're giving us a real report on what's going on lately uh, with the police department, officer satisfaction, a lot of things, frankly, that the city tries to do consistently with its own employees. It'd be nice to make sure we're doing that, understanding what's going on at the police department. They can, in so many words, never overshare. Right. We're always interested in what's happening. It's such a significant part of the budget. It's such an important thing that I think our citizens care about that, uh, you know, it's important for the council to, to know what's going on and for the board of police commissioners to keep sharing. Yeah, you never tell them TMI, right? Right, where, where right. Any details. Um, how important is it to you that the next chief is is the one who finally addresses the duplications and inefficiencies between the city and the police department? I think it's vital. I think the taxpayers expect us um, to address these uh, problem areas. And they expected us to do that in 1998 when we had an audit on it back then. And they yeah. expect us I, to do that. Uh, I talked to the city auditor about yeah, that. Yeah, he's, 19, he's pretty adamant. Yeah, 19 years later. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a generation of expenses that could have been spent on a number of things, not mm-hmm. just from the city side. You know, it, this isn't me or Troy Schulte or anyone wanting more money for Kansas City, Missouri, local government expenses. This is us saying that allows us to redeploy officers on the street. That allows us to actually pay for important law enforcement tools if we don't have to worry about certain information technology issues. And, you know, in the in the Kansas City Star wrote a story about this recently that had a few quotes where the department was saying, police department was saying, well, there's certain confidentiality issues, among other things. And, you know, I take a little umbrage at those remarks mm-hmm. uh, because the suggestion being, well, if the city were working with HR, mm-hmm. then perhaps they'll divulge and spill the beans on everything. Right. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think the human resources department uh, – divulges what my health insurance elections are or those of other city employees. They are an upstanding workforce, among other things. And I think that the same duties of confidentiality that uh, work at the police department work here as well. And we're mindful of that. Confidentiality is confidentiality regardless of whether you're wearing a badge. That's exactly right. And you're you're terminated at the city if you uh, break our rules and break the laws of the state of Missouri just the same way you would be in the police department. And so, you know, I think... uh, you know, let's get beyond hyperbole mm-hmm. and uh, old-fashioned concerns and, frankly, fiefdoms and instead say, what can we do to save people money so that we have more officers on the street to fight crime? That's what I care most about. That's what I think most Kansas Citians care most about. Yeah, good answer. Now, I wanted to – you mentioned the ride-along you went on. Yeah. Um, I'm working on a story, um, a separate one myself, uh, about you know, just, there's been hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds – of shots fired reports yeah. coming from these seven sectors that represent the historic Northeast. Yeah. Um, I guess I would ask um, how big of a priority is gun violence to you? And, and, and what did you see while you were along on that ride along last week? Yeah. Um, of the issues citywide, mm-hmm. you know, ranging from water rates to everything else. Um, the issues I care about gun violence is um, probably first or second. Mm-hmm. The cost on our community of every homicide, of 
public safety statistics thereafter of home values. It has such a significant effect on our community that I would say um, it's something we have to address. There are some people that would say, well, it's a cycle and a cycle will never beat. And, well, there are a lot of guns and we can't do anything. But I disagree. There are cities larger than ours, Boston being an example, uh, where gun violence is uh, much, much lower than what we have here. I think, now granted you say, well, there are different gun laws, but basically the Constitution allows people to have guns. Now, right. there's a type of guns they can have or not. Right. But I also think that... Uh, Whatever permits they might need to carry those right. guns in some exactly. places versus but, others, yeah. But I think dangerous people in Boston have guns, or dangerous people in New York City, dangerous people in Chicago have. Right. But those jurisdictions have a different uh, volume of violent crime. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is a way that um, we can address this issue uh, straight up. First, I am one who thinks that, like I saw in my ride-along, having an officer that's out there... Uh, who is listening for gun violence, one who actually is observing a community, working with a community, makes a difference. Now, maybe that doesn't mean we need a total increase in the number of officers. I'm not sure. I haven't actually seen the studies uh, that will give us that answer. We're supposed to get that soon. But what I am sure of is that having somebody out on the streets can be helpful for us and is helpful for us, and I think that's uh, a way to address it, you know, from the forefront. Right. Anyway, you can get more officers on the street, right. whether that is, I know we talked about already, right. duplications, mm-hmm. inefficiencies, you know, whatever and, it takes. Right? And another point, I'd love to see greater walkability, I mean, uh, uh, for our officers. The Northeast um, is an incredibly walkable neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? Let's actually use that benefit to have a real presence uh, of our officers, particularly in the sectors that are in the historic Northeast, uh, where we can say, all right, yeah, we see what's going on, we know what's going on. And we don't, we're, we're not forcing all of our officers to rush from a scene which I experienced at, let's say, Truman Road and Hardesty to um, Blue Ridge Cutoff and Interstate 70. Right. You know, that, that is real travel, and that really uh, takes an officer out of the community, either one. We're doing a disservice to the folks around Blue Ridge and Blue Ridge Cutoff and I 70 as well. Right, and we, much time to get out right, of there. And we hear from them all the time that they're saying, my house got broken into, we have real issues. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's something that everybody should wake up and think about. And I would expect the next chief to give us a real solution to that, both on the duplications idea, both on how they really think we can address violent crime. I support the NOVA program as well. But at the same time, what can we do to try to reduce or reverse the numbers that we've seen in recent years? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would expect that from the next chief. And if they you know, don't have an interest in coming up with that answer, then I don't think they should be in Kansas City. All right. Good. I appreciate uh, your thoughtfulness on that issue. I wanted to ask you as well, uh, shifting gears a little bit, about uh, the project list that City Manager Schulte released. Was it Tuesday? No. For the first $40 million in GO bonds. As far as I can tell, he's kept the promises that he made going into that one, which I know uh, people in the Northeast seem to be happy about. Was there anything that's not included in that initial list that you think should have been? <laughs> what are your impressions? Uh, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> there are a lot of – I guess I'm at large, so I, I love everything. But I think there are some, some projects that are presenting more exigent concerns than others. That said, um, you know, I think the city manager uh, worked with his department heads, worked with uh, a number of folks throughout the city 
and they came to the priorities. And frankly, I think that is a good reflection of what was campaigned on. We campaigned on the idea that we'll, we'll put a good amount of money into Starlight uh, for ADA compliance. My ADA prioritization would not have been Starlight, right? right? I, I would have put more, and there is money for, uh, I believe, curbs and sidewalk ADA compliance and that. I would have put all the Starlight money in ADA curb uh, and sidewalk compliance because, frankly, that hits every person in Kansas City. Right. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, I know Starlight has uh, some investments and an endowment and, and that sort of thing that helps fund these sorts of things and has a park sales tax that they can use as a resource. A sidewalk off 21st Street in the east side Absolutely right. doesn't have an endowment. That's exactly know, right. But, but something that is a profit generator right. and has concerts and shows and things like that. Hypothetically, yeah. could be able to put some money together to fix their own you know, that, issues. That's that exactly my idea. You know, I'm going to go speak to the Dunbar Neighborhood Association here in a few weeks. Um, and I was just at 23rd and Spruce the other day when I talked to those neighborhood people mm-hmm. and I say, hey, vote for this bond and you will get stuff uh, and you will get things that really improve your neighborhood. Uh, I think that's that's why they voted. They, they didn't necessarily vote to say, what can we do to improve every uh, in some way, separately funded Kansas City, Missouri institution. Now, I understand it's our obligation, but you know, I, I think it uh, is regrettable right. that whoever negotiated our ADA compliance with the ADA, with the uh, Department of Justice right. some years ago thought that the projects that should be hit first were the big ticket items like the Starlight right. or Municipal Auditorium, as compared to the things that hit every man, woman, and child in Kansas City. And so, you know, I have a little bit of a lamenting about that, but, um, you know, I think the city manager was honest in what we were going to address most quickly. Um, And I'll be here to make sure we're fighting for the people that don't have a well-connected board uh, and millions of dollars of revenue each year to fight for them. And that's the people in the Dunbar Neighborhood Association, that's people in Scarrett, that's people in Pendleton Heights, that's a lot of people. And uh, we'll make sure we're fighting for them as we make these... uh, uh, prioritizations in the future. Well, it, would you say, uh, is it safe to say then that were you a bit conflicted then um, with even putting your public support behind this geobond measure the way it was put together? Not really. I mean, I think it all comes out of compromise. And so uh, is anybody ever going to be 100% happy? No. I know there were people that I heard that thought all $800 million would be spent on, on sidewalk improvements. There were others who thought it should all be spent on roads. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a number of different things. I think a property tax increase on every resident of, uh, or property owner in Kansas City, Missouri, should accrue to the benefit uh, of as many property owners in Kansas City, Missouri as possible. I'm not sure if funding at, let's say, one theater or one ice skating rink in the Northland um, accrues to the benefit in the same way of every property owner in Kansas City, Missouri, in the same way that a, a ADA compliant sidewalk does mm-hmm. um, that we're hitting in every sector of Kansas City. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I if I were drafting it alone, then I might change the, the priority schedule. I might make some different choices, but at the same time, I understand that uh, we made the choices we did, and that's and that's fine, and that's what compromise is all about. And they needed 51, 57.1% of, of the people to go for huh. this thing, so right. it needed to have wide appeal. That's exactly right. So, so. You, so you need your ice skating center in Clay County uh, to be funded, and, and you need a number of different things, I will say. Uh, contrary to what some may think, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we're seeing a good amount of benefits targeted to the Northeast. Mm-hmm. I think... The historic Northeast for too many decades, and I include in that all 
kind of parts north of 27th Street in Kansas City, Missouri. So although that's not all historic northeast, I would include Wendell Phillips neighborhood and others. Right. Um, have have seen a lot of disinvestment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the improvements that we're seeing on 22nd and 23rd Street, the improvements that we're seeing with the Kansas City Museum, the improvements that we're seeing in collaboration with the Paseo Gateway Corridor, sure. um, are 18th and Vine, although I know that's a controversial one. Um, you know, I, I think it's important for us saying, all right, we are really trying to get something done here. Right. We're trying to get something done so that somebody can look at this neighborhood and not say, eh, it's a neighborhood that's past its prime, but instead can say, wow, things are really going well in, you know, the northern part of Kansas City, south of the river. And, you know, I think that's good. And I, I'm proud to serve right now when we're seeing that improvement. I guess I could cross off my next question. Why do you hate the Northeast? <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I think um, to my friends in the Northeast, why it's good I'm talking to the Northeast News. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would challenge them to, uh, to say a time that I haven't been willing to talk about an issue. Um, and I think that's what, what constituents, what people in the Northeast, what people anywhere want. Right. Is somebody who's going to spend the time to ride with East Patrol and see what violent crime issues are happening for eight hours on a Friday night, which was longer than I thought it'd be. Right, folks yeah. that are going to be willing to talk about any expansion plans, be it KCU or anyone else, talk about the uh, Hardesty Renaissance project. And so, you know, I, I try to just be as accessible as possible, realizing that while we're not always going to agree. What I can be is transparent, accountable, um, and listen to what the concerns are. And I think that's the conversation I've been blessed to have with the Northeast. And frankly, uh, I've probably had a better relationship in terms of people willing to talk to me and listen and me doing the same with the Northeast than I've had in any neighborhood in Kansas City. I can vouch for that. I've seen a lot of you myself. So. Yeah. Right, there we go. Um, well, good. Um, speaking of funding, uh, it looks like federal spending plan uh, will include roughly $30 million for Prospect Max yeah. unless something happens, which – yeah, as, as we know in Washington, is always mm-hmm. um, waiting in the corner. So right. anything could happen. I know, but um, how crucial is that route expansion and uh, turning that into a max line? Uh, and how does on a, on a related note, I wanted to ask you about uh, the Ride Casey Freedom Program, how that fits into the transit program. So maybe uh, we'll start by yeah. by talking about the Prospect Max yeah. and, and that thirty million dollars and how crucial that was. So when I was working on incentive reform last summer, I had a chat with uh, County Executive Frank Wyatt. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said at the time, he said, I feel like the people need a win. And, you know, that stuck with me for a while because, you know, that doesn't just relate to one issue. It relates to a lot of them. And to me, public transportation is one of those, much like the ADA compliance sidewalks, mm-hmm. is one of those issues for the people and where the people can get a win. And so... Um, I think it's essential that people living up and down the Prospect Corridor and beyond, of course, because the bus turns around, mm-hmm. all that, um, have this chance to have real accessibility, have a chance to have greater job access, and frankly, ability to move um, than what we have provided for the last generation and generations. And so I think completion of the Prospect Max project, first, because the people need a win. Right. Second, because... You know, for those of us who grew up riding the bus, be it the 24 bus on Independence Avenue or the 71 bus on Prospect, um, know what uh, being able to predict what your schedule is going to be like means to your employment status. Uh, what, you know, that ability to move means, whether you're a disabled person or what have you, right, is how essential that is. 
and frankly, it helps uh, kind of achieve our goals of redeveloping the prospect corridor even further, right? Having a good number of people getting city, federal dollars invested in that area. And so, you know, my view is that this is this is key. And so I'll continue to fight to make sure it happens. And I imagine that, you know, the Kansas City government will continue to fight to make sure it happens from our lobbying efforts uh, and others. Right. And so uh, that, that's what I would say with that. On Ryan Casey Freedom... Well, speaking of, um, well, go ahead. of key, I just wanted yeah. to point out, you got that sweet, sweet Wi-Fi-enabled bus, yeah. too, that'll yeah. knock you back and forth. I've taken the Truce Max down, and it's pretty darn convenient No, that's exactly that. right. It helps you. It, and it changes what Truce is to people, right? right? I mean, we all talk about a nice Truce, but, you know, let's think 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was kind of a, it was a different scenario. You're right. looking at more prostitution. You're looking at more, you know, kind of challenges, more homicides up and down Truce. Right. And not that we've we've cured the concern entirely, but I think we've made a big dent from something as simple, seemingly, as a rapid transit bus investment, right? right. Um, because then you see the, the tag along. I mean, I'm looking at Troost right now here from City Hall. Can you see the new KCPS headquarters from here? I, Maybe I, not, but... I can't see them. I can see apartment complexes. I can see Beacon Hill. I can see the health department. Um, I see kind of a, a, a changed investment. And let's keep that going on Prospect and keep moving east. And I'd say once we're done, you know, once we do Prospect, let's go to Benton. Let's go, you know, let's keep moving. Um, Kansas City is a big city, you know. It's 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 not just that that downtown corridor or or the the entertainment corridor or whatever you want to call it there. Okay, uh, sorry to interrupt you before. Uh, Now, how do you think Ride KC Freedom could kind of fit into that picture? You know, uh, we're finally at a point where... I think our public transit investment is catching up to what the people need, on-demand services, et cetera. And so, you know, I think it's a travesty right now, the way that, let's say, someone who's in a wheelchair has to order our sheriff air service, which the city pays a significant expense for. Yeah, cash only, too. Right, I mean, right. there's some... You know, there's this cash only, we'll be there 30 minutes on either end. Can't so, have any guests with you. Right. You end up so, riding with other people. You might end right. up being, I talked to somebody who uses that service. Right. Um, they might end up sitting in a car after work for two hours right. while they drop everybody else exactly. off and then pop you somewhere else. Right. I mean, that's probably an extreme, but yeah. But no, it's a dehumanizing process. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the extent to which we can eliminate that, you know, I'm, and I've had a, a good life and all of that, so I'm not one to complain. But, you know, when you see what some people in our community have to deal with each day just to get to work, just to live, just to get to the store, um, I think it's past time that we have a service like Brad KC Freedom. I think it's vital that the Kansas City, Missouri government continue to uh, provide adequate funding to our bus service. Frankly, because it's the Area Transportation Authority, I think it's vital that everyone else does their part, too. And I'm, I'll, I'll throw Haymaker on this one. I'm not sure everyone else does. Um, I think the city of Kansas City, Missouri, uh, has been an important impetus in ensuring that we provide services to disabled folks. I would like to see our suburban communities do the same. And I'd like to see that support of the KC, KCATA uh, be increased from other communities because, frankly, you know, they're doing a lot. There are, you know, there are innovative services like Rad KC Freedom, mm-hmm. the, the MAX services, um, you know, that... You know, it seems like they would think that it's just a Kansas City thing, but that helps somebody get from 27th and Prospect, mm-hmm. catch a bus over on 47th Street slash Emanuel Cleaver to get to something on the plaza or to get a job on Shawnee Mission Parkway or something like that on the Kansas side. Right. So it's not a just us thing. Um, and I think that's, you know, fairly important too. So Okay, no, well said. Yeah. Um, 
While we're on transportation, I yeah. guess it's probably as good as time any to address, um, I guess, this lingering issue that kind of has been hanging over City Hall regarding the Buck O'Neill Bridge. Yeah. Um, what's your preferred option there? The Buck O'Neill Bridge is owned and controlled by the state of Missouri, and the Buck O'Neill Bridge repairs and perhaps replacement needs to be fully vetted as a funding source from Missouri's budget. Mm-hmm. Um, full stop. I was intrigued by the testimony yesterday from our friends in places like Riverside. Um, not I respect what they're saying because it would have a huge impact on them in North Kansas City where there was a city councilman who, who not only mentioned that we should fix it but mentioned that they don't want to have to deal with the infrastructure costs of a whole bunch of people driving through North Kansas City and taking the Heart of America Bridge or the Paseo or Kit Bond Bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know. It stinks when you have to actually fund infrastructure resources for everyone else in the metro. Right. Welcome to our story. You just mentioned that. Right. I mean, it's... Uh, the aforementioned haymaker. Right, right, exactly. And so, you know, I would say this. Um, I agree with regional approaches. I think they're important and interesting and what have you. But you know what? We've created a regional approach, mm-hmm. which is called the state of Missouri. And the state of Missouri exists and pays for roads and has this cool thing called the Missouri Department of Transportation because someone years ago realized that, oh, we can't just have Kansas City building roads because if Kansas City builds a road, um, let's say Kansas City and St. Louis build their own toll highway, it'll just support them and it won't help the farmers and others along the way. Right. Neat idea. Right. And I'm happy to fund a system that helps pay for roads and loan jack. And that's why we or, pay state taxes. Right. Or Riverside or who knows where. But, you know, I mean, I think that's a two-way street, and it can't just be metropolitan interests funding state budgets, metropolitan interests attracting people to the state of Missouri, which we do, because even our wealthier suburbs are suburbs for a reason, because there's a jobs base and there are other generations that exist off of being close to Kansas City. And so I think this conversation needs to largely be one that says, MoDOT, look, we've identified long-term needs, a bridge that should actually be able to support multimodal transportation, a bridge that hopefully, right, uh, can last longer than a generation or two. But at the same time, you need to be the lead in finding that sort of funding and creating some sort of funding instrument that creates uh, the future bridge. And so, you know, that's where I am. I I support replacing it. I don't want it closed down. I... um, I use it too. Right. I tend to use the Paseo Bridge, and I'll keep calling it that for too long more because <laughs> I live on Paseo. Sure, but at the same time, I, uh, you know, I think it's important for the future of the metro, and so I'd like to make sure that we come up with a solution that can be regional, but doesn't just mean Kansas City, Missouri. Hey, you guys find forty, fifty million dollars to fix this. Right, um, it's not a strategy to strategy right. to last, right? Exactly right. But is um, I. Is there a cynical take on the renaming of the bridge? I mean, nah. well, with it gets renamed the Buck O'Neill Bridge. It was a Kansas City icon. You yeah. know, everybody can rally around Buck O'Neill. Yeah. And then you find out the next day. I mean, you know, in in, in relative terms, you find you know yeah. the next day in your email box is a, is a notice saying, "Hey, it needs it's destitute. It needs terrible repairs. Hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. for a new bridge, or or fifty million dollars or so for repair." I mean, is there a cynical take where you wonder about the timing of that, or have you ever? I'm not trying to get you in trouble here, but yeah, yeah. Short answer to the question is no. Right. I, I I don't think that Modoc purposefully. Um, I don't know to pull a fast one on us, uh, right? Said the bridge, changed the bridge name, and they're like, oh no, the bridge is in trouble. <laughs> right. I think 
And this is why a lot of people are taking a, a big interest in the Bacchanal Bridge. Despite its flaws, it is still such a beautiful entry into Kansas City. Right. It connects such wonderful areas. I mean, I'm partial to the Northeast, so I'm so partial to the Kip Bond Bridge and how you enter. Right. Uh, and that's a beautiful bridge, too. But at the same time, right, when you uh, enter the North Kansas City portion of the, you know, the uh, Kip Bond Bridge, you have, you know, mills and all these other things. It's not the same vista that you get either when you're entering the Northland on the uh, Buck O'Neill Bridge or downtown. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think the reason for the Buck O'Neill naming was for the bridge's significance to Kansas City. And it's and it's gateway kind of to Kansas City and to Kansas City's downtown, um, and so notwithstanding the issues and the challenges, I continue to think that uh, you know, Modoc doesn't want it to be a dilapidated bridge and doesn't want us to uh, be ashamed of, of what the Buck O'Neill Bridge is, and right. I certainly look forward to a new Buck O'Neill Bridge uh, that has all the beauty, has all of the things that we're, we were talking about before. Uh, but that also respects the name of a great Kansas City icon. Good. All right. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, um, you insinuated your willingness uh, to be in the Northeast to talk to community yeah. um, members and community leaders there. Uh, one area where you did do that of late was um, regarding the KCU Master Plan Development District. Mm-hmm. Now, that was back in the news um, yeah. last week when they went to the Historic Preservation Commission. Right. So um, I wanted to ask you about this issue, the, the removing of eight parcels from the Pendleton Heights Historic District. Um, it narrowly failed to earn the recommendation of that Historic Preservation Commission last week. They voted four to one in favor of it. They needed five votes, so they didn't get a recommendation. Now it goes to City Plan Commission. You know the process. Mm-hmm. After that, goes to planning and zoning. So I wanted to know, could you see planning and zoning approving the request despite the fact that the Historic Preservation Commission didn't get their rec- give their recommendation to it, and yes, along that same line, uh, if city plan commission, how important is is that recommendation now that it didn't get the historic preservation? So, can I see planning and zoning committee? This can I see the city council fundamentally um, approving it despite uh, the four to one passages uh, technical failure uh, to advance a recommendation, not technical, real failure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a technical knockout in boxing is a, is a knockout. <laughs> yeah. It's the same. Yeah, right. Right, exactly. um, you know. still counts to the stats. <laughs> it's, it sure does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think planning and zoning committee will see the same information that was presented to the, uh, historic preservation commission. They'll have a chance. We will have a chance to look at it, to weigh the issues, to weigh the project, you know, to weigh the, the fact that it's a, a significant amount of private investment, non-government subsidized investment. In the Northeast, which is something that I certainly appreciate, but also I, I look forward to hearing kind of the historic conversation, you know, further. Um, I would hope in the time since um, February, January, KCU has taken the opportunity to visit with neighborhoods more. I think necessarily they have because they've had to interact with them at a number of meetings. Now. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, you know we'll we'll see more of that. Um, and because, you know, there were a few things that were the source of opposition before, I think. First was, I think, people that were saying, you didn't talk to the neighborhoods. I think a, a lasting concern, and I don't know if it's been resolved yet, I'd be happy to be part of the solution, is um, 
How do we make sure the neighborhoods in the Northeast work together? Right. And what should that look like? You know, in some parts of the city, a Pimbleton Heights neighborhood saying a project in our community is something we like, so therefore do it, is usually enough. Right. There are a lot of parts of the community where that works. Right. My understanding from this conversation was that wasn't sufficient, and that's okay. But what we have to make sure is that we come up with a collaborative approach instead of one that's purely acrimonious. You know, we have to understand there are going to be some people that don't like a project, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Right. Um, you literally can't make everybody happy right. when you get more than a million people uh, getting involved in a conversation. That's exactly right. But at the same time, let's make sure, and this is why I had my community meeting at the Northeast Library, and I, I hope it went somewhere, you know, um, because I, I think people want to feel consulted and listened to. We talked about the geobond before. Um, you know, there are things that I would want more spending for. I want, more, I want even more spending for ADA, ADA compliance, mm-hmm. frankly. Um, but, I, you know, you can't win every battle. And so I think but the fact that I got to be a part of it and part of the collaboration was key in coming to a better result. And so I, I hope we have the same uh, in the Northeast neighborhood. Will the council listen to the City Planning Commission uh, recommendation? I'm sure we will. Right. We'll, we'll look at the conversation. If they both recommend against, how much weight does that have? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's, it's, we can't quite say Historic Preservation Commission recommended against as much as they didn't recommend denial. Right. They just didn't, they, they had no recommendation. Um, they, they, I guess, failed to recommend four. Exactly. Is maybe a better way to put it? That's, cor- that's correct. Or, and maybe yeah. even the term fail is too harsh. Right. There. I don't. I mean, no recommendation, which we've done before on the council level, two out of our committees. You know, if you have two bodies preceding that have no recommendation, then I still think it's an important role of council to weigh a number of different issues and see what our view will be. So, no, I don't think the, I don't think the city planning commission view is dispositive. Uh, we were elected for a reason. We're elected to look at these issues, and the reason it comes before the city council. So right. I'll, I'll look to discharge my duty once it comes before us. All right. Cool. Um, wanted to ask you briefly, uh, I know we're, we're sort of coming up against the sure. wall here. Um, the Independence Avenue CID, uh, recently the subject of a city auditor's performance audit. Uh, how concerned were you about the findings? You know... I'm concerned. Uh, I am. I am. I significant concern. I do have uh, faith in, in Bobby and, and the group beyond that to, um, you know, take some real positives from these policy recommendations. I think they've already started addressing issues. So I have confidence in the Independence Avenue CID. What I think the audit is a reflection of, however, is that there are too many groups with taxing and spending authority in, in Kansas City. We have, we just mentioned, and this isn't taxing and spending, but we just mentioned the City Planning Commission, the Historic Preservation Commission, the City Council, CIDs everywhere, the Shared Success Fund Committee, the now 8th Cent Sales Tax Committee, the Ramp Committee, the, I mean, it's the Police Board of Commissioners. Mm-hmm. Um, the inability for your regular taxpayer to say, wait a minute, what's happening? To call one person and say, I have an interest in an efficient use of funds that way, is to me one of the greatest threats to the future of Kansas City government. We have too many disparate sources of influence. We have too many different areas where there's not accountability. And when there's not accountability, you have the ability for malfeasance. Um, And uh, some of the issues that we saw in the Independence Avenue CID, 
And so my concern is not so much the Independence Avenue CID. My concern is that there are probably 20 other CIDs in this city that could be suffering from the exact same issue right now. Right. And I think that's right. one of those things. You have to point out that they're a guinea pig. They were the first one exactly. to be audited by the city. Well, and a lot of CIDs could probably take take um, a few lessons from this. That's audit, exactly right. Um, well, uh, just want to recap. Over the past year or so, while we're yeah. ra- wrapping up this thing, uh, you were heavily involved in, in getting funding for 18th and Vine. Yeah. Um, you were a big voice uh, in the GO bond debate. Yeah. Uh, you helped kind of pull people together for the the MPD over yeah. at KCU. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it seems like you're, you've had quite the presence among the council. What does it feel like to have that kind of political juice, Quinn? Huh. Uh, it's a struggle every day, right? You know, I, I'm sure any one of my colleagues w- would say right now that uh, he may not have it for the next issue. And so, <laughs> you know, my thought is this, um, this is important work. You know, if, if, well, let me just give you one example. Uh, you know, we did a lot of work with the minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And one of the criticisms from the mayor and others, for those of us who passed a minimum wage ordinance, was that, well, because the state may, mother well, has not yet, mm-hmm. preempt uh, the legislation, then you're just grandstanding. And the reason I, I took great offense to that was because, you know, everything I do, everything I think we should do is because the issue is an important one, not because you can put your name in front of a bus, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, leadership, and I've heard this said a few different times, and I agree with this, leadership is not seeing where the crowd is walking and getting running in front of them. It is, you know, helping the crowd either walk another way or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think what I try to do is make sure I've done enough reading, enough study, enough conversation, enough listening, such that um, my colleagues on the council always know that at least I've looked at the issue. I'm not phoning it in. I'm not there. I'm not here for the concert tickets and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think that then should be what we're all here for. And I think we largely are. And so, um, you know, I just am glad that I can try to make a difference for people. Cause I'll tell you how I grew up. My mother never went to a single neighborhood meeting. My mother didn't vote. We rode the bus all the time. The 71 prospect bus. No Wi-Fi, right? Right. No Wi-Fi. Far from it. Sometimes not seats for you, right? Right. Um, and my goal when I got into political office was that, you know, I'm going to represent those types of people. And those types of people, like my mother, probably would never read the newspaper, would never see me on the news, would never see any of the grandstanding that I'm doing, but mm-hmm. would get to realize what the impact of what we're trying to do is. You know, and for example, if on the minimum wage we get somebody paid $8.50 an hour, you know, sometimes people focus on the whatever amount. I care about the eight fifty. Right. you know? Get somebody $8.50 an hour. That makes a difference to my mother. It gives them hope. Right. The prospect max getting done, that gives, you know, interest to my mother or the woman in her position now with three kids and all of that taking care of her family. The person in the Northeast community who says, I don't like the KCU expansion. And maybe it happens anyway, but they say, but you know what? There was some council guy and gal that came and listened to us for two hours talk about what we care about in our community. And it's those things that built a profile and make a difference far more than any press conference or press release ever does. What, what do you anticipate is next for you in politics in Kansas huh. city? You're going to, you're going to run again. Uh, or are you going to run for something else? Yeah, I'm day to day. Right. right. Um, you know, I'll say this to you, which is that, 
you know, I enjoy the position. Uh, at the same time, I don't think these are positions that people should stick around in for a long time. So I'll do the Richard Nixon promise from 1966, I think, when he lost a governor's race in California, or I forget what politics were, but he said, you know, you won't have, you know, you won't have me to kick around anymore. Um, I'm not coming back to run for city council in 20 years. Um, right. I think, you know, it's Paul Thompson should leave media and, and do that sort of thing by then and all that That's stuff. That's an endorsement right there. <laughs> uh, in terms of running for something next, you know, I hear everybody is thinking about running for mayor of Kansas City next time around. I'll certainly throw my name in the thinking about world, but I haven't made a decision in that regard. I think uh, we just saw it today um, even that there's some scuttlebutt about uh, mm-hmm. your colleague Jermaine Reed yeah, uh, creating a committee. It's, right. You know, he's and he served uh, the city well in his district and – so I think this is the time everybody should think about it and think about what solutions we might have for the future of Kansas City. And if, that, if that's the way I think I can be most helpful to Kansas City, then I'm sure there would be a great person who would want to take my seat in the 3rd District at large and, you know, maybe somebody from the Northeast. Right. But uh, Forrestine Beasley was a candidate before. Right. Uh, but nevertheless, I, you know, I, I do plan to re- remain involved at least. I don't. I don't necessarily think I'll retire from politics after one term on the council, although there are days that make me think of that. Uh, but, you know, stay tuned, I right. guess, and, and we'll see what I think of next. I think what you're you're leaning towards is uh, the Democrats are looking for somebody in 2020, right, to run for president? Ha! <laughs> you know, I, I, I'd love that. And I see I have as much experience as anybody in, in at least our administration right now. So Right. You need to get a TV show first and then you'll get there. <laughs> there you go. But Thanks. Hey. Enjoy talking to you. I always enjoy talking to the Northeast News. And I appreciate the fact that you all provide more coverage, more responsible coverage of what happens in the city and city hall than almost anyone. So thank you for what you do. There we go. We're going to uh, – we'll pull that and uh, use that for an endorsement as well. I really appreciate <laughs> you spending time with us today. Queen. Thank you so and, much. Uh, have a great day. Good to talk to you. And that will do it for our conversation with 3rd District City Councilman Quentin Lucas. Thank you to Quentin for your time and thank you to the listeners for tuning in this week. I'd like to remind you, if anybody has any thoughts, concerns, questions, criticisms, glowing praise, reach out to us at northeastnews at socket.net. Don't hesitate to let us know what you think. And don't forget to check us out on iTunes. Once again, this is your host, Paul Thompson, signing off for the Northeast Newscast. Until next time.